Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, Hair Metal, Reggae, and all points in between, then Crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and oh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I'm Henry. And I'm Chris. Let's go ahead and talk about uh, how we pick the records. Yeah, so what we're doing is we're taking the entire decade of the 80s, and we're going one month at a time in order, and we're picking five records from every month to review. Um, and the first criteria that we used is the All Music Website's five-star records. And we also use Grammy nominees, so we take stock of who has been nominated or won a Grammy in that year. Then we also took selections from history that we like. We also take a look at the Rolling Stone year-end top 25 from then, but we'll take a look at what Rolling Stone, the music publication of the note, of note. I can't think of any other one. So that was the that, that was the biggie. That was the. But there are but but I am finding through our research here there are a lot of records that uh, were not looked on favorably back then or were looked on favorably back then that now um, are not looked on the same way. So we're trying yep. to we're trying to look at the way they were looked at then and let me and Henry tell you what we think about them now. Yep. So that's the criteria we used. We've used it the whole time. In fact, producer Greg even cut that segment out of the last episode. I think he was trying to tell us passive aggressively. Stop, stop, stop doing that shit. But we're going to keep doing it and let him decide. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've added a new segment in the past few episodes, which is the whiskey segment, which we brought over from our other mm. podcast because, well, we like to drink whiskey while we talk about 80s albums. That's our particular kink. If you're listening to this, it must be yours as well. Henry, what is the whiskey we are drinking tonight? This week, we are drinking Blanton's. Well, let me tell you, folks, this is adult bourbon. This is not what you buy in a no, no. plastic bottle. You gotta, you gotta, this, this, this arrives under lock and key with like a guy with a chain that goes to a briefcase that's steel. I would also like to say that we are at a level now with our podcast where we got a complimentary bottle from the distributor, but we didn't. We paid for this bottle. And Henry, on first sip, what are your thoughts? Eh, it ain't all that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Henry's first thoughts of a $288 bottle I mean, of bourbon is... I, you know, I think it's well established that I have... A working man's taste in whiskey. <laughs> Thanks anyway, Blanton's. I really like it myself. We just ran up the 80s music exposed <laughs> credit card. Oh, yeah. Thank, we're gonna, thank we're, you, Patreon subscribers. We're going to go right back to the plastic bottle stuff next week, so hang in there so with us. So, Evan Williams, I'm looking at you. That's right. Uh, so real quickly, also, we'd like to uh, mention some significant events from the month that was November 1980, just to get you back in the mood uh, for talking about these records. Henry, what is the first event that happened well, in November 1980 it, that it we want to talk about? It's basically Armageddon. Ronald Reagan won the election. Beating Jimmy Carter to become POTUS number forty. So you're so what you're basically saying is you're not a big fan of POTUS forty. Mm, wasn't a big fan. Okay, okay, that was significant for the eighties though. I think I think he fit the time. I think the me generation. I think he was the right president. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Dallas. Henry, Henry, remember the show Dallas? Do I? The infamous Who Shot JR episode aired in November of 1980. Oh, shit. I don't know if you know about this, Henry. I forgot, but I researched it. What? Not only was that the cliffhanger episode for the end of the season, which took the whole world by storm, captivated the thoughts and minds of everyone around the globe. What? The writers went on strike in the off-season oh. and prolonged the agony for another four months. This show, this episode, got a 53.3 rating. That's 83 million Americans watched that episode of Dow. Man, it must have been slim picking. The next significant uh, pop culture event of nineteen eight November 1980 was uh, the movie Heaven's Gate came out. Do you remember Heaven's Gate? No. Not a lot of people did, but Heaven's Gate is, is the biggest... Cool? Well, I'll tell you, it's the biggest flop to date at that point in Hollywood history. It took $44 million is what it cost to make, and it netted back, if my math is correct... Seven million dollars. So the studio God, lost dang. thirty-seven million. So this movie kind of gets blamed for, for good or bad, ushering in the '80s big box office smash uh, movies that were serialized, like Star Karate Kid, Karate Kid oh, Two, that, Karate yeah. Kid Three, Karate, and moving away from directors having control and artistic um, uh, input with the producers taking over. But what um, kind of movie was so it? So Heaven's Gate was a western, which it also kind of killed westerns. And Henry, what is our last significant One event? Thing, okay, and I consider this significant. The, the NASA space probe Voyager made its closest approach to Saturn. It threw, flew within 77,000 uh, miles of the planet's cloud tops. But what's significant is that it sent its first high-resolution images of the world back to the Earth. So for the first time in high resolution, you could see the planet that we live on. And the first record we're going to cover is Auto American by Blondie, and this is Rapture. Fifth studio album by Blondie. Um, I consider Blondie to be one of the four uh, seminal bands from the 70s that created a scene at CBGB's that is the original punk scene. Mm -hmm. When you hear the word punk, it actually means those four bands. That was what they were being described as. Talking Heads, Ramones, Blondie. When the press said punk, that's what they meant. In the beginning, when there was just the, the local New York scene covering them yeah. actually one of the writers came up with the term punk to describe that cbgb scene yeah. um but blondie had changed a lot from that to this point um 
So talk about it, Henry. What, do you, what, what are your thoughts on automatic? So, um, what, uh, one of the first things that stood out to me was this was not the Blondie that you'd heard before. If you'd pegged them before as a sort of a new wave band or a disco band, that first track was going to sort of dispel that uh, altogether. It's called Europa, I think. Yeah, this this uh, intro kind of felt, I don't know if you felt this way, Henry, but it kind of felt like I was going down the same road as we went with a band we covered a couple episodes ago, Cheap Trick, trying to make a more of a different really? sounding statement. Um, it turns out Blondie had a lot of eclectic different interests, musical interests, and yeah. I think they tried to throw a lot of these on this album, and I felt like this was their attempt at making a big, hey, New York City is more than just more than just punk rock. There's and, all these sounds going on, and we and disco, the, and we can do this. You didn't find it you know, like you, you found it to be a little transparent. Or? Well, again, I think in the same way I I felt about the Cheap Trick record um, with hindsight now i just i prefer my blondie doing blondie Um, on first you know my first reaction was that too but i think they were far more successful in in doing this record than cheap trick was i don't Mm -hmm. say i don't because i i think the problem i had so but i didn't listen to the hunter like the hunter could have been even like worse I think the hunter's next, right? We'll get to the hunter if we cover it. So you 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 think like this record to you is a wrong turn? Totally, and I'll tell you why. Because what lets me down here is not the art arty stuff; it's the tracks on here that are trying to be um, good good quality blondie. What you expect from blondie hits, and none of them live up. Um, I, uh, in doing my research, I, I I read a review that someone said. There's two good singles on this, but there's nothing else. They didn't write them, man. Well, but you but you That's, look at the album before, and of course you look at their their best album, Parallel Lines, and it's like one. They're just cranking out like uh, you know these little pop gems. I just don't. I, if there had been a couple more mm-hmm. pop gems. Uh, in between the, is that salsa they're doing? Or, <laughs> right. oh, uh, they're going to make an attempt at rap, even. And um, I totally understand where you're coming from. I give them a pass because I think they execute it better on the whole, for, for whatever reason. I think they had a cohesive album. I felt like some of these reaches, if they'd have made like a concept record, like, if they, like at times mm-hmm. I was thinking, if they were making Xanadu, I kind of get where they're going here, but it didn't sound like they were they were tying those because elements they were, together. They weren't tied enough, right? Yeah, I thought they. But, were just, but I will say this in defense: um, this yeah. is when I was a kid. This was the first uh, Blondie record I actually bought. Yeah, I was pissed though because I thought um, "Call Me" was going to be on this record, but yeah, it um, wasn't. It wasn't even on it until the reissue. I think the album cover is amazing. It's yeah. it's, it's an actual painting. I it's, think which is kind of good because it could have been like. Which is another thing that bumps yeah. me out when I realized that they made the record in L.A. Because it's this the cover is so New York, which is awesome. Also, I, I I mean, we have to talk about this because it is on our list. And I mean, you know, we talk about this all the time, like what? where we sometimes trash great records. Yeah. The two singles on this record are seminal 80 singles. I Well, there's three. The Tide is High is great. Not, and they didn't write it. That, it's a cover, but they yeah. weren't very good at covers. Yeah. But but Rapture has to be talked about in its own right because of whether you think she can rap or not. They made uh-huh. an attempt at rapping, which, again, um, was one of the things that was going on in New York, that very Talking New Heads York. and mm-hmm. Blondie were 
tuned into that the rest of the country weren't. Um, so I think Rapture has an importance all to its own, whether you think it's a great song or not. Yeah. So I so this record does have its moments. I don't know that is there a third single? Yeah, was, if you want to conclude, call me. But but that, that was that I'm was, not really counting that. Cause yeah, because that's not right. I only listened to it because it was part of the reissue. The reissue, right? That's all. And he did. And uh, here, I don't know why I'm talking about call me. I guess I shouldn't since it's not on the record. But little known fact. Giorgio Moroder wrote that song, and he was going to give it to Stevie Nicks. And she couldn't work with Moroder because of her record deal with Modern Records, so it got passed. To For those of you who don't know, Giorgio Moroder is um, basically the the godfather of yeah. disco. He wrote as much of the disco that you know. Like, if you've listened to Daft Punk's, well, now, yeah, but like back then, then he, he wrote tons of the disco stuff um, behind yeah. the scenes. Um, also, I want to say I want to give it a pass, uh, Henry, as well, because nine-year-old Chris, mm-hmm. for the first time, understood what it meant to be male watching the 1979 New Year's Eve Dick <laughs> Clark party, and they showed the video for Call Me. And Chris, <laughs> wow, became, Debbie Harry became a man. is the most beautiful woman uh, in ni- the 1979 Debbie Harry. Which, to this day, uh, Debbie Harry will always be sort of attractive to me. Oh, of course. But I, no matter what. Yeah, I'm, right? and I, I'm Where, not saying, it, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying 1979 Debbie Harry is Chris's no, uh, yeah. 1977 Farrah Fawcett poster for everybody else. I was more impressed that they would reach for something and not quite get there. My notes that. say, for now, I'm not going to recommend it, but I respect the effort. I respect yeah. that they made a try. I just feel bad to our audience saying, if you really want to hear Blondie, listen to Parallel Like lines. I could say that I, could, I think that the Cheap Trick record was a transparent, was way more transparent than something like I, this. I, I'll give them this. The right. Cheap Trick record sounded to me like the producer was telling them what yes, to do. Yes, yes. I think, Chris, them I think Chris Stein definitely was like, this is the stuff we're interested in. Help us make it. I still don't think it works. Again, if for my money, Parallel Lines, if you've only got time for one Blondie record, that's the one. Henry, what are we covering next? All right, our next record is going to be Gaucho by Steely Dan. And what's the song we're going to hear? The song we're going to listen to is Time Out of Mind. So, uh, Gaucho, this is album number seven for Steely Dan. 
And it's toward the end of their, well, not the end of their career, but the beginning of a 20-year hiatus. This is, this is, this, this broke up the band. Basically. Um, and if anybody's familiar with, is it Aja? I mean, is that what, is it Aja? Aja? Mm -hmm. If you're familiar with Aja, there's a documentary that talks about how they made Aja in, um, Los Angeles and, and like Steely Dan's method for making music continued on Gaucho, which is to use exactly the musicians you want. I mean, there was something like 42 fucking guys on this thing. This is the big problem I have with Steely Dan. So I wanted to like the album. It, it just, it rang hollow. Nobody just feels eh about Steely Dan. You're right. The older I get, the more I appreciate and love Steely Dan. Tell me why. Now, let me, let me just start with Gaucho because I could talk all day about Steely Dan. So I'm going to try to keep it just to Gaucho. To me, Gaucho is, um, all uh, far and away, it's the best Steely Dan record for a person like me who doesn't like all the super complex nerdy stuff. Yeah. These guys had so much shit going on in their lives; their lives were falling apart. That these are the simplest Steely Dan songs you're ever going to hear. I don't think there's anything wrong with the experiment which they were doing, which was they were trying to make the perfect sounding song. Now that's nerdy and and I know it goes against your whole gang against the world theory, but it was a concept. And also I want I want to mention here, they were so nerdy about it, Henry. They actually invented a drum machine during this I read about session that. called they named him Wendell. And Wendell <laughs> yeah. won a Grammy. I also like I don't know if you know this, but um I've heard interviews with Walter Becker where he said it wasn't so much that we were assholes. We had very little um self-confidence in our own ability to play. We both thought we could come up with these perfect parts, but we knew we couldn't perform them. And we thought since we can't perform them anyway, why don't we on each individual one, try to get the best person we could think of in our mind to do them. Gaucho really is a concept record. And what I love about these guys is they basically nailed the 30 something hipster. I'm feeling how old I'm starting to get mood in 1980 before there was such a thing as hipsters and it resonates with me now because they're talking about the same things really that were going through my mind in my 30s hey 19 is about i'm not cool enough right to, and and i can't relate to a 19 year old even though i want to go out with a 19 year old i don't know what to talk to her about right uh there's another so, so all we can do is get drunk and high yeah then there's another song and i'm sorry i don't have the list in front of me the names but there's yeah. one about uh that's really they say is a veiled reference to magic johnson where the hipster guy in his 30s the white guy trying to be cool in la the best he can do to hang out with awesome la basketball players is he sells drugs to them um and the the basketball player in the in the song is named hoops mccann oh but, yeah i remember that. Uh, basically yeah. the song is from the perspective of his drug dealer telling him he needs to slow down and everyone says it was prescient because Magic Johnson ended up getting AIDS from his crazy lifestyle. Yep, yep. Um, also, there's uh, so the, uh, uh, there's a song that's totally about heroin, doing heroin your first time, uh, and how great an experience it is, and doing it for your first time in your 30s, which not to 
get too personal here, but my first actual drug experience, and it wasn't with heroin, um, <laughs> was in my 30s. I had never tried drugs until then. Um, also, so that resonates. And then, of course, Henry, the big famous, uh, is it Babylon Sisters that ends yeah. with the line, something about Cuervo Gold is... No, that's uh, hate. That's the... Is that hey nineteen? Yeah. I didn't know this till reading the research. That last line has always been questionable whether he's actually alone because he can't hook up, and he's saying uh, the sunset in Cuervo Gold uh, or whatever. The Cuervo Gold, the fine Colombian, makes the night a wonderful, wonderful thing. thing. Yeah, but every, I always assume that meant because he's with the chick, but it actually I think is because like a self dialogue. Well, he's head. sitting getting drunk because he can afford Cuervo Gold and he can sit but and he, get drunk. But he but looks he, at the at the but he can't that one sort of wistfully. He, yeah, he yeah. can't score. So there's a lot going on that I can relate to with the record. Also, Henry, I'm not. I get weirded out sometimes by the complexity of their songs too, because yeah. I, I don't really understand jazz music. <laughs> yeah. But this well, one is the most easily digestible. And real quick, I just want to say one more thing about. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a bunch of songs that didn't make the record because yes. Walter Becker was having a complete breakdown. Can we? T- get, do you want to talk about him? Uh, we like, can. What, what, like what? so, he was uh, he was doing heroin. He was doing co- a lot of cocaine. Apparently, his girlfriend died yes. in his home from an overdose. Right. while he was at the studio, got sued. Got sued, but also seventeen million dollars. And during this time period, he got hit by a car right. walking across the street because he was, I think, he was out of it on drugs. Yes. broke his leg. Apparently, he helped uh, Fagan finish the record by phone from the hospital. I did read that, but he was basically coming apart at the seams. And they had a bunch more songs that they recorded. In fact, the opener to the record that they both say is the best song for the record, and this will go back to your point of why you hate them. Um, one of the engineers accidentally erased half the track. Right. And they tried to recreate it, and because they're both such perfectionists, they never could get it back. He just back. walked out. They, and they left it. They left that song. So this record is not only a lot of critics think it's great, but they think it was probably going to be much better if the three or four other songs that never made it made it. But the reason they didn't make it was just uh, Fagan was tired of Becker. I'm definitely highly recommending this record. In fact, I would talk about it the whole episode because there's so much going on. And I'll Gaucho. talk about it too for the for the reason that you should fucking throw it in the garbage. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> it's a it's a great historical artifact. Next record is High Infidelity by Ario Speedway. We're gonna play Keep On Loving You.
Well, you want to talk about a dumpster fire of a record. I w- <laughs> Jesus Christ, what a <laughs> shitbag record to, to talk about after Gaucho. <laughs> Steered us right to the ditch. <laughs> I'd put it on there on purpose. Like, just let's, can we just go ahead and. I feel like we need to cover this record. I mean, it, it was a huge record at the time, but I figured out listening to it, Henry, why I dislike it so much. Well, you dislike it? Why I absolutely loathe, not just hate it, but loathe this record. It is a hopelessly uncool record written by uncool people for uncool people to listen it's, to. It's divorce rock. I mean, that's what... No, Henry, this is, is, this is, this is what people in Iowa think. Ouch. (laughs) This is music made by people from the Midwest, for people from the Midwest, who, who, if I call them uncool, are fine with me calling them uncool, and are giving me the middle finger because they love their arena rock and roll. This shit was horrible, Henry. The singles are bad, and and the... This was the beginning of the power ballad. I mean, this is where this is hopelessly horrible. Could you say air supply? So I listened. All right. So Aria, this was Aria Speedwagon's ninth album by the fucking way. They were, can you imagine? They were kind of like this nondescript sort of faceless white dude band for years. They did like, I went back and looked, they did book like the sort of boogie music. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't bar. It wasn't straight up like hardcore boogie music, white boy boogie stuff. I can't believe you cared enough to even find. Well, out. I, I did it so that I could try to get some perspective where these fucking guys came from. Then they did the one. St- All right, here's. I can th- tell you where they came from, Henry. They came from hell. This is the record that your mom had or whomever in the drawer on cassette. And uh, and it it voiced a lot of feelings that people had at that time about. I mean, the divorce rates were skyrocketing about that time. So they had like all these songs about um, the virtues of staying together and all that kind of stuff. Well, I had one word going through my head when I was listening to this record. What filler? Filler. There's a lot of filler on this record. There was, but this album went like how many times platinum? Ten, ten times platinum. Something fucking crazy. It had the number one spot right, in in 1980. The number one spot for 26 out of 52 weeks. Okay, this is I'm, I'm talking about 81. All the hits on this thing, on this fucking turd, were. Where it came to fruition in 81. So it's like the record comes out in November of 80. They release singles and push the shit out of it. Yeah, it's huge in 81. We've spent more time on this record than should be spent by any human beings because when you're talking about albums like The Clash um, or you're talking about even Ooh. albums like Auto American or Gaucho, this thing is a turd. If I mean, yes, it has hits, and yes, we should. I guess we have to mention it, but do you think it... Anybody really, really likes this record, or there's any critical value to it? There's no critical value, but you can't ignore if people bought the thing like crazy. Well, I'm going to say I have two final things to say about it. What? Then I, I really didn't like it when I was a kid, and now... It's even worse, right? I hate it. I absolutely hate it. This is the first record we've covered in 1980 that... I hate. I was indifferent to the Air Supply record. Really? I think there was another one that I couldn't make it all the way through. Um, I can't remember what that record was. I actually made it through this one because my hate 
fueled me to get to the end. You got through side two. Because that yes. was a tough slog. And that's where Ain't shit on that one. And that's where the word that you no hits on that it. you overlooked came up. Filler just kept going through my it's mind. It's awful. It's filler, filler, and more filler. And when I say filler, folks, what I mean is a song that even the band knew was shit. They just needed time to fill up a side of a record. That's what those songs were. I'm, I'm getting the vibe that neither of us are going to recommend this record. No, this is a fucking turd. So, Henry, let's go to a record that I actually want to talk about. Um, and this one is Double Fantasy by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. I want it very clear that this album is by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. And Henry, what song are we going to play? Oh, let's play I'm Losing You. seventh and final album that John Lennon did post Beatles. Um, I think that's, I think that plays a big part in how we look at this record um, because he was murdered a couple weeks, right? After this album came out. Yeah. And um, no, no I, it was a, it was a few months later. It was a few months. Okay. Yeah, but uh, four weeks, four weeks, something like that. So real soon after. It yeah. Came yeah. Out. But like four I, weeks later. I had forgotten how interesting I, I I just I just want to say I didn't know it at the time and I I see how big a part of this record it is. This record basically goes back and forth with songs written by Yoko Ono and songs written by John Lennon. Boom 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 mm-hmm. boom boom. So it was totally intended to be um a collabor a collaborative album. I think the juxtaposition of what they did really makes both parts uh better. I think it makes the pop genius that is John Lennon stand out more, um, putting him next to a more experimental, a person who actually now today has carved out a huge niche uh, in experimental music. A yeah. lot of people love Yoko Ono. Um, I think it. I think a lot of people at the time hated it because of that. They just wanted a John Lennon record, but I Henry went back and just listened to this afterwards, just the John Lennon tracks in order, mm-hmm. and they really stand out more right next to a Yoko well, Ono they, song. So they stand out better next to her 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 songs. I mean, it's like a master class in pop music. But I will tell you this: I was really intrigued by the very last track on the album which is one of hers is kind of a pretty close to a standard pop song um now her vocals you can either like her vocals or dislike her vocals um yeah. 
she wrote a damn good pop song, that last song. If John Lennon had done that last song, um, and I looked into it a little bit more, she wrote that song. He didn't write any of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. So, I mean, I almost feel like the experimental side of her, it's kind of funny. Um, I think that last song to me is her going, I can do, I can do that kind of shit too. I just, I'm more interested in doing experimental shit. But overall, Henry, my feeling is the reason people don't like her tracks on this record and they don't like this record per se because they think she's fucking it up is because at that time she was still being blamed for fucking up the Beatles. You think so? And I think it's one of those things that's interesting to talk about in the context of where we are with um, women's issues today that Yoko Ono back then was over the top blamed for breaking up the Beatles when John Lennon fell in love with her. And whether you like it or not, uh, I don't see how it was Yoko Ono's <laughs> fault that John Lennon decided to I think, uh, leave the Beatles. You know, my opinion might differ from yours in a little bit in that I think that it's like you, like you said, it's difficult to look at this album fairly because of what happened to him after it was put out, right? But if you can manage to put that in a box and listen... I think that I don't think it's his best work. But I, I think stretch. I think her songs but, next to those make his songs sound better than I they like, are. Put it this way: I liked Yoko Ono's music now more than I liked it when I listened to it fifteen twenty years ago. I can remember Henry because my mom, for some weird reason, was doing a paper in college. She'd gone back to school right. about John Lennon when this record came out and then he died. So it was a big thing in our house and we listened to it a lot. There was an overriding, like open hatred for the Yoko Ono songs. Yeah. They were too weird. It shouldn't have happened. And also she was still, you don't remember, but 1980 was still, the Beatles were still fresh in people's yeah. mind. It was still like, that's the bitch that broke up the Beatles. <laughs> All, one thing I also didn't realize was that this record was about their relationship. It wasn't about, it wasn't about everybody's relationship. Right. And so his this is the first record that he had done. He'd been out of the game for five years and went on um, a yacht experience, He's, you know, like a, a boating experience where he had to take the wheel for a few hours going to Bermuda and had an epiphany and said the songs started coming, probably because he was afraid. Right. He thought well, he, let's 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 be clear. The, they were in a bad storm, and yeah. the rest of the crew were either sick or incapacitated. Yep. And it was, and this is a crew of like uh, people that John Lennon had hired to take him to Bermuda, and he ended up having to man the wheel for about right. twelve hours straight, and he thought he might die. Um, but let's. There's something else, Henry. I don't know if you ever read the biography, the unauthorized biography of John Lennon. No. Nope. But the the hidden reasons for the hiatus as well were, according to that book, was was John Lennon was a a huge heroin addict, um, and it basically laid up in that hotel for four or five years on heroin. And Yoko Ono had almost written him off completely, and he kicked. And when he kicked, and you and you may know people that have recovered from different yeah. substances. Yeah. All of a sudden, 
uh, domestic bliss and the little things in family life become like super important to yeah, you yeah. as part of your recovery. I think a lot of these songs he's wearing his heart on his sleeve. They're they're not. Um, but there's he, no nuance. They're, he's talking so you, about you, I love Yoko. I love watching my little boy do this. I love cooking pancakes. Like, yeah, there was some of that, but I, but also I felt like he was coming to the coming to the relationship in sort of a submissive kind of cowering way. Maybe the reason why was because he was was digging out of drugs. I didn't know, even think of that. And, and I think there's a lot of that in there if you if you take that angle. I didn't now, know now, that. Now, there, now, of course, his estate uh, vehemently denied that, that was it. But I well, um, also I think the other cool thing for me, Henry, that I could relate to this record, just like with Gaucho, is. It's the first record to me, which was going to be, again, he, he died, but there was going to be a long period of this. This sounded to me like the first, I'm not a cool rock and roll 20 something guy anymore. I'm, this is my first, I'm over that hump. Yeah. And now I'm writing introspective, like I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. Right. As opposed to, the, all right. So say uh, what, I'm going to change the world with my music. Right, like this record, has which been, I thought was interesting. I think he was getting yeah. ready to become way more interesting than what Paul McCartney turned into. One of the things that impressed me about this album was how many, th- how many quotes have been lifted from it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that people would pan to this album because he, uh, because they felt like he was sort of being um, trite or simplistic or like the old linen bitterness and, and piss that was sort of in some of the Beatles. Like the perception was that he was sort of the, the vinegar in with the sweet, right? That made, but, but that's kind of what I'm good. getting at. He's getting to an age where it right. sounds silly to still be... Um, to still be that guy. Uh, I'm Johnny Rotten still going, I fuck everything. Well, you're like 60, dude. Like, calm down. Well, I felt like like she was the, she was the, the biting one on it. More so, yeah. yeah. I still felt like she and was so, coming into her own as this experimental artist. <laughs> and I read, that, I read that he he considered uh, her work, or at least her early work, to sound a little bit like the B fifty twos, Rock Lobster type stuff, which totally makes sense in retrospect. Also, her vocals are more accepted now than they were then. Right. There's no doubt about it. Did you get a chance to listen to the stripped version? Yes, I listened to that, but yeah. I didn't. I tried not to listen to it too much because I didn't want to yeah, judge yeah. my. Um, um, only because I'd listened to Double Fantasy so many times that that I even bothered to 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 hear it. But it, I, I liked it more because I could hear the the vocals better. I was surprised going back because I remember from a kid. I don't think there's anywhere on this record that she's out of tune. I didn't catch that. That she's like. She's in tune. She just, you just either, it's kind of like, uh, Nico. You either like what she does with her voice or you don't. Um, but when I was a kid, I remember thinking, she's not even in tune. Like somebody has to say, she's singing the wrong notes. But I, it's not really anywhere near that. I think you're right. I think today's perspective on how wild music can get. But then I try to think back about the guy that wrote the book. On what pop music is supposed to be like. What is he thinking when he walks in? I'm betting there's a bit of him, if he's really coming out of a heroin, I bet there's a little bit of him going, God damn, I wish I could write something as crazy as Yoko. And either A, I don't even know if he could, or B, could I get away with it? I kind of approach these reviews too with, I feel like I'm telling people about records that if they only have time to listen to one or two 
this is probably not the best post Beatles um, John Lennon record that you could get into. So I'm not going to recommend it. I will say at the time, as a little kid, it, Woman was everywhere on the radio when he died, and I loved it. I love that song. But I just think it's just below recommend for me. Just below? Just below. So what do you think about the record? I'm not going to recommend it. Yes, yeah, a thumbs up for me. I'm, I'm going to call it a recommend. Okay, cool. All right, we got one more record to cover, um, and this one is called The Ace of Spades. It's by a band called Motorhead, and the song that I want to play is called Fast and Loose. favorite song i didn't want to we i mean <laughs> this has been a thing for us i know but I, I felt like it was too obvious anytime we say it anytime we say the word motorhead what's the next thing that comes out of our mouth ready one two three the, the ace, ace of space the, the ace, ace of space that is the way that it goes every song to me is the ace of space <laughs> Well, see, I took a different tact here because I I acknowledge that that's my that was basically my knowledge of <laughs> right. So I wanted to approach this from more than just uh, the that uh-huh. little ditty that we just did, which is which comes from the video, which when it would come on when Henry and I were um, into 120 minutes and uh, early 90s, and I guess Motorhead were making kind of a revival then because they represented. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I think. They kind of started that no-nonsense thrash metal kind of movement, even though they weren't that. Um, But they were really respected, like the Ramones. They hung out with the Ramones. Like, punk people liked Lemmy. And also, uh, the guys in Metallica loved Motorhead. Like, they existed in that same space that ACDC kind of did. That was the band I really want to compare them to. Because I think ACDC and Motorhead both would fight you if you called them heavy metal. And they both would fight you if you called them punk but they just wanted to be called rock and roll but they were not really in my mind rock and roll with that said i wanted to give it a fresh listen obviously it sounds like henry just kept hearing ace of spades over i listened to the entire album i felt like they had a very specific um style i i don't see that it was that much different than a band like black flag i think they had a certain aggression that they wanted to get out and they were exercising that aggression I tell you what bothered me, Henry. I was astonished, and I don't know why. Maybe because my experience with Lemmy was only older Lemmy. I cannot believe how over-the-top, um, sexist, misogynistic um, <laughs> pigs these guys were. Every song was about 
there's one called jailbait, which I wanted to talk yeah. about specifically, which you just can't do now. You can't do that song. I now. mean, you could. There's I mean, songs about um, sure sneaking in and having sex with a woman fast and loose, the one we just played, yes. because that's the way you like it. And I'm not going to like get to know you or talk to you or anything. I'm just going to sneak into your house, basically rape you and leave, and you love it. There's a the, lot of me, that me, on this record, and I didn't need to close. I guess I was pretty, uh, yeah, put off, put off by it. But yeah, yeah. please, I Teen- guess you wrote some of these down. Huh? Teenage baby, you're a sweet young thing. Still tied to mama's apron strings. I don't even dare to ask your age. Just enough to know you're here backstage. You're jailbait, and I just can't wait. This was like 30-year-old dudes just talking about... Like, how old was he in that time, in this time, I wonder? He was born in 45, so 55, 65, 75. If my math is right, he was 35 years Which old. Which is my the axiom I'm telling you about... About these musicians, they they were in, they were older when people were buying their records. They weren't younger; they were in their thirties, right? Weirdly enough, uh, and this uh, was, you, this is also the first uh, Motorhead record to be released in the USA. Their well, six previous had not come out in the U.S. Damn! By the way, also apparently uh, Lemmy walked out of interviews if the words heavy metal were mentioned about his band. <laughs> He thought they were a rock and roll. They were a rock and roll band. What did you think about the album cover, by the way, too? I loved it. I loved it. I should have said that from the jump. I love the record cover. Describe the album cover. It's uh, three dudes dressed up like they're in the the wild west. I don't know, the west. But they're obviously all black. And they're obviously on like an Olin Mills western (laughs) backdrop. It's just it's, it's the best. Uh, notably, I lo- would like to tell everyone: everyone in Motorhead is dead. <laughs> Surprisingly enough. Okay, let's see what Megan's got for us this month. everyone this is megan and i'm here with your mixtape uh while i give you your mixtape today i'm drinking some uh, barefoot moscato wine not quite whiskey like uh, henry and chris so november 1980 um henry and chris they had i'd say quite the variety of music to listen to and i listened to it as well all the albums um i'm not going to go over them because hey that's what henry and chris do so i do want to add though with double fantasy by john lennon and yoko ono i had never really listened to that album fully before i had heard like songs off of it but never the full album and when i started listening to it i tried to go in with an open mind because i feel like yoko ono definitely gets quite a bit of shit you know, being blamed with like breaking up the Beatles and everything, um, just kind of a you know bad reputation. Um, so, but I had never really like listened to her music, so I was genuinely curious to see if she was like musically talented at all. Um, I assumed you know there had to be something there because John Lennon loved her and respected her artistically. So uh, there were a couple songs of hers on Double Fantasy that weren't bad. But overall, um, did not really care 
for her portion on that, like um, her singing, not really my cup of tea and the noises and like the screeching, which are kind of like a trademark of hers. I just did not enjoy it at all, really. Um, it did make me think of uh, this video of Chuck Berry, the legendary guitarist, obviously, playing with John Lennon um, live. At that time, even, they were legends, so it was a big deal. And I think the Plastic Ono Band were backing. And of course, Yoko was there uh, with her tambourine and microphone. And, you know, John and Chuck are like rocking out. And then all of a sudden, Yoko just comes in with just these screeching sounds. And the look on Chuck Berry's face when she does that is priceless. So funny. Um, just check it out if you're looking for a laugh. The record that I'm going to recommend is by a group called Visage. Uh, I double-checked the pronunciation because I always hope that it's Visage. I feel like that sounds better, sounds fancier, you know? Visage kind of sounds gross. But it's their self-titled album. Um, it was released on November 10th, 1980. And of course, it's best known for the song Fade to Grey. Yeah, you hear that on like Sirius XM First Wave every now and then. Fairly big song. But overall, um, I feel like this album kind of doesn't, like people don't really remember it. Um, there are quite a few good tracks on it, like Fade to Grey, of course. But, you know, like Moon Over Moscow, Blocks on Blocks, The Dancer... Those are great too. And it's definitely like a new wave record. Um, or I think it's actually considered the new romantic record on um, the quintessential one, actually. But there's quite a bit of guitar on it, and it rocks pretty hard. Um, mid year, of course, later on of Ultravox, he was the guitarist in Visage and also the synthesizer player. And I think he was even did on backup vocals, and he produced the record. I don't know if he produced all of Visage's work, but I thought that was pretty cool. I, I love Midger's voice. Vienna, by the time he gets to Ultravox, is a beautiful song, um, and just his voice is perfect in it. But again, I think that uh, when people think of like new wave or alternative music from the 80s, the voices of that generation, I, I don't think Midyear is the first one to come to mind. And that kind of sucks because he, he has a great voice and, you know, in Visage and in Ultravox, he did great work. So if you love like New Wave, um, New Romantic music, alternative music, definitely pick this record up and give it a listen because it's it's definitely worthwhile. I'll post it in my playlist along with my picks of the tracks from the albums that Henry and Chris talked about later on. And of course, we'll also post the link to Henry's Spotify playlist for this month so you can listen to the records that we listen to also. If you want to follow us on social media, which would be awesome, um, we have a Twitter. You can find us at 80s Exposed and then on Instagram and Facebook at 80s 374. Thank you so much for listening to my mixtape, and thank you for listening. Bye. So tell us, Henry, what is your pick of the month for my, November 1980? My pick is going to be Double Fantasy because... Uh, uh, because it's double fancy, and, right? Uh, very uh, important record from that era. If you uh, like music, you should have listened to this record. And I'm going to pick Gaucho by Steely Dan because I think if you are a smart person, you should like Gaucho. 
if you don't like Gaucho or Steely Dan, you're not very smart. And um, did that sound the way I think it just sounded? <laughs> A little bit. Excellent. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm kidding about that. I, I like Steely Dan, and I think Gaucho's the best Steely Dan record. And I also think it, it's really not an 80s record. To me, it's a, it's the last, it's kind of an end of a 70s genre, so I don't, I can't really recommend it for, for its 80s-ness. But I think it might well, make my list of the best. I don't know, like... I don't, know, I don't like attaching things to their 80s Well, I just try to think for our, our what we're doing. Yeah. Is this something that uh, is seminal to, to the 80s? And it's interesting that we're in this period, Henry, with 1980, where a lot of these bands are doing stuff that was kind of the end of the 70s. And I think I, I'll be yeah. interested to see in 81 or 82 if there's a bigger shift away from, and we mentioned it with REO Speedwagon, these oh, guys that the were beginning? big arena rock 70s bands still doing it, you know. If it is the 80s, we are going to cover it. That's right. And so next month we'll be moving on to December. And now after that, Henry, I'm getting really excited because we're going to do a year-end episode where we do our favorite records for the whole year. We've got one more month left. I can't believe we will have covered all of 1980. I guess that's the end of our show. That's the end. Well, many thanks to our show producer, Greg Levin. If you like the way that we sound, you can talk to him on Instagram. He's, he's at Urban Dweller. Let me spell that for you. U-R-B-N-D-W-E-L-L-R on Instagram. Very thankful to have him on our team. Also, many thanks to our new social media, Megan. She's a new member of our team. You'll probably hear from her if you want to get to arguing with us on social media, which we'd absolutely love. And uh, we'll probably have some of her opinions on the show when we get around to 1981. I think, Henry, she's also going to help us. I think her and Greg are going to help us do the year-end picks um, to compile our our top ten list. Yeah, she's going to go through her and and decide, and and Greg's going to give us his, too. Yeah, and then we're going to kind of throw those all together and come up with a top ten. Awesome. I think we're going to do that, Henry, because we're not going to have any redundancies this time. So... Me and you aren't going to put the same record in our top five and then show up and be like, oh, you just stole my number two. We're going to come up with a 10 record list all together, and it's going to be the 10. We're all going to pick them together. We're going to pick them, and then me and you will compile them, and it's going to be 10 individual records, so there won't be any duplication. Let's not do that. If you like our show... Or if you like the records that we're choosing, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps the show. You can also listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and share it with your friends. You can also chat chat us up on Twitter at 80s Exposed or 80s Music Exposed at gmail.com. And we'd love to talk to you there. And Chris, guess what? What's up? I made you a mixtape.